Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Terrence Malagon. We will uh, get into this right away. The guest is John Orand, the fine sports media reporter for the Sports Business Daily and Sports Business Journal. I do not need to uh, introduce his resume into this podcast because he has, uh, I believe, been on probably more times than anyone else. John, welcome back. This is great. This is almost like my podcast, Richard. You you should actually get one. I mean, given uh, given your place in the industry, given that you know the movers and shakers, you have Burke Magnus and Jimmy Pitaro on speed dial and Eric Shanks, uh, you know, you can text him. I, I think, John, I, I see a podcast in your future. Uh, you know, possibly, possibly. We'll see. As a terrible segue by me, I'll try to do better here. So, um, all right, John, the news just broke. Literally, we're taping this, and uh, this just came out 10 minutes ago. So we're right on the news here. The NFL um, has made some changes specific to television. First off, they have decided to move the Sunday divisional playoff games from the traditional 1 and 4 slot, 1 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Eastern, to 3 p.m. Eastern and 6.30 Eastern. And they're also dropping the single header rule, meaning that all markets will get at least three Sunday afternoon games. Very interesting. Seems to me, John, all geared towards television. How did you read those moves by the NFL? You know, this is something that TV networks have been clamoring for for, for a while, for as long as I've been, and been doing this. I mean, the idea of moving playoff games later into the, uh, into the afternoon to where one of them actually goes in prime time. I mean, that, that's everything that, that, the NFL, that the NFL TV partners want to do. I mean, it, it brings more viewers in. It helps shore up prime time, which has been a disaster, really, for, for, uh, for all the TV networks. Um, and it's, it's just something that, that is uh, uh, really TV-friendly for a league that really likes tradition and, you know, that traditional 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock East, East Coast time slot is sort of, you know, it, it's been tradition going back for decades. And so they, they were really reticent to sort of mess with that or change it. You know, but they started doing it with the championship games. They, they do it, obviously, you know, with, with the Super Bowl. And I, I just think that they, uh, you know, it, it, it made sense. Um, the single, single header rule is, is another one. Just like you know, there was like just kind of almost a Byzantine rule that that, that mandated that you know you, you couldn't have a uh, you know uh, uh, um, the double header game against a, a home game, and um, it uh, you know they just sort of got rid of that because it was like something that the TV networks really wanted to to, to get and, and were pushing for. And so, to me, if I'm giving this a quick read, and then, and then really the news just broke, so I'm giving it more of a quick read than actually having reported this out. You know, the NFL is really trying to do more to shore up its ratings. Like the, the ratings were up last season after going down uh, for, for the previous like four or five seasons, and it, they, they were up from a, like uh, close to historic lows. Um, you know, th- this is really the NFL trying to to shore up the the, the rating story uh, for when it kicks off in the in the fall. Yeah, listen, that's a, that's a great take. That's how I read it um, as well. I also think that as and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but as they head towards contract renegotiation for all these rights deals, this this makes this a more attractive product for television. And then, in theory, John, they can charge more. And then, in theory, the rights holders can ultimately charge more for ad slots, given that you're going to be able to charge um, more for a 3 p.m. 6.30 start as opposed to a 1 and 4 spot, particularly in the playoffs. 
Right, in theory, although to, to be perfectly blunt, if they hadn't made these changes, the NFL was going to be able to name its price on, on whatever, it's, um, uh, whatever its rights were going to be coming up. So I, I don't think they necessarily did this for uh, for a rights fee negotiation that's coming up because they're going to break the bank no matter what, given given their place in, in the sort of the TV uh, uh, landscape. It's interesting, John, that um, you know for uh, for as long as the NFL had these incredible ratings, and then obviously we saw you know a drop over the last couple of years, not last year, but the year before that. There are things that they could do strategically to push the ratings up, and it's interesting that they never did these before because I, you know, in in a way, they really never had to. Where you know, viewership was not really, uh, or at least has not been a big issue for the NFL until recent vintage. So it's interesting. You know, again, I haven't looked at it enough, but I would imagine there are other things that they can do schedule wise that would probably get them added viewership without, you know, um, without changing the game dramatically or the television experience. Yeah. I mean, how crazy is this? You're leading off this pod by talking about the NFL moving a kickoff by two hours (laughs) for one, for, for, for Sunday divisional playoff games. You know, I mean, it's a, but it matters like that, that two hour move is going to bring in millions more viewers. It just is. They're, it's because it's going to push it uh, later. It's going to push it more into prime, prime time. I mean, it makes perfect sense, so much sense that it is like, why didn't they do this before? And it's because they never really had to, I think. Yeah, John, to be very honest with that, what I'd love to really do is I just want to have a Raptors podcast, but you're a Wizards fan, so I can't really get into that with you. That's really all I want to talk about today. Given, uh, uh, you've, be, yeah, you've gone all in on that team, Richard. Uh, it's very, I, it's the first team in a long time that I've been so compelled by to just watch every game and to really, really follow, which is really fun just because, you know, it's been a long time since I've been able to do that with any team. Of course, by the way, by the time you're listening to this, you know, anything could happen. The Bucks could be in the finals. The Raptors can be in the finals. So um, we are taping this, though after game four and that series is now tied and you're feeling two. pretty positive right i, I mean it, it, no i still think if i i mean i'll put this on the record I, th- I think if you've watched the league all year i think you still have to think the bucks are going to win the series it's two games at home they've been the best team in the league they're a very very good home team but i i certainly feel very different after game four than i did uh you know following game two when it really did look like the possibility of the Raptors being swept existed. So the series is now, it's a new series. Toronto looked great yesterday. So I give them a shot now. And after game two, there, I, I, I didn't see any road to winning the series. Now I, now there's a road, but again, I think if you're being honest, the, the bucks are still, you know, one through 10, the better team, but now it's a, now it's a three game series. Anything can happen to use the sporting cliche. <laughs> you can when you're talking about the actual sports and not the media we'll, we'll okay the cliches well what, what i find because it's a media podcast is you know everybody goes nuts over the toronto market you know of course right. it doesn't get rated and, and the ratings have been down for the games they, they've been in because there's basically no home market and and that certainly does hurt but one thing that the nba is is unique about is you know milwaukee is a very small market but they have this guy, that Giannis guy, who is, you know, people watch. And, and he, he is so close to being sort of like a Kevin Durant-type superstar in Oklahoma City, you know, that, that really grew in Oklahoma City, or LeBron James in Cleveland. I mean, the, the Cavaliers last year were the, were the, most, the highest-rated uh, team, and you know, they're in Cleveland, which is not one of the uh, biggest TV markets. So the, the, 
the uh, t- to me, you know, if Giannis gets through to the finals, it doesn't necessarily speak that 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 they're going to be, be uh, bottom out because they have the Milwaukee Bucks in there. Because I think that that he's the type of star that could actually take that step. All right. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I let's do a little quick sort of thought on the NBA ratings. Um, you mentioned Milwaukee there that because um, I've written about this, the number 50 television market in the country. So it's a very small market, but. They are interesting in that they have Giannis, who is uh, probably should win the MVP this year in the NBA, and far and away their most the league's most transcendent under twenty five star. Um, the Eastern Conference Finals, John, are going to be down because, like you said, the Toronto market does not count in the viewership and ratings and ad totals when it comes to the American market. Obviously, the games are going crazy in Toronto, but that doesn't count for the U.S. market. So the Eastern Conference Finals is um, is down through four. If it gets to seven, maybe that changes. But like you said, you're losing a whole market. Interestingly enough, the Warriors and the Trailblazers, even in a four-game sweep, wasn't as catastrophic maybe as you might think given the shortness of the series, and now you get the Warriors in the finals. And even if there's Warriors fatigue, I still think that's obviously the team you want most in the finals. Milwaukee, Toronto in the final, that'll be interesting in terms of viewership. But here's the one thing, John, that I think is very clear, and this is what I want to get you on. LeBron James moving to the West Coast had a massive impact on the viewership this year. Regular season ratings were down. I, I think that's the biggest factor to me. He moves West. Um, you no longer have that anchor early game in the doubleheader to tune into LeBron. If you want to see LeBron, you have to stay up super late. And then obviously the Lakers did not have nearly the year um, you, one thought they did. How much, John, do you think this is sort of a short-term issue because of LeBron's move and maybe more of a cyclical thing? Or is this any kind of preview of, the, of life after LeBron for the league? Uh, I, I think yes to both, actually. I, I think it wasn't only LeBron going to the West Coast. It was LeBron going to the West Coast, LeBron getting hurt, and Le- LeBron's team not making the playoffs. Uh, so yep. like, so that, that, that was you know, all three of them. And he, Jimmy Pitaro was actually interviewed by the Wall Street Journal on Monday in New York, and he referenced uh, LeBron James' move to the West as, as hurting the, the, um, the ratings. That, that, and that certainly happened. Um, it does have the same sort of feel to... Uh, you know, like Michael Jordan retiring, like, like, you know, you can see the end of LeBron's career. He's, he's getting up there in age and you, you are going to see ratings come down. I mean, that's, that's sort of historically what has happened in, in the NBA when they have sort of a transcendent player like that. Um, but I do think that there are some younger players and there are some younger teams that, that are, you know, could pick up the mantle, not quite where, where uh, LeBron James is, but I think that, that you know, we, we talked about Giannis, I think I've written about Warriors fatigue, so I'm I'm part of the problem. But I think that is the most sort of overblown story uh, going because like uh, Warriors fatigue is taking a, a really highly rated series and, and 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 dipping it down a little bit. People still identify with the Warriors. They know the Warriors. They know Clay Thompson and, and Steph Curry and, and Dream, uh, Draymond. They um uh, you know so they having the Warriors make the finals. Is, is exactly what the NBA wanted, and while there, there there is certainly some fatigue, they're still the by far the the, the best team for the NBA and for and for ABC to to have made the finals. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't agree with you more. Uh, you is there Warriors fatigue? I mean, maybe, but it doesn't matter. Like you said, they're coming from the highest place. They're essentially the equivalent of the Cowboys in the NFL or the Yankees in the um, in MLB. They're the the 
the standard bearer when it comes to viewership for the NBA, in addition, obviously, to LeBron's team. So I guarantee, I mean, they're not going to say this publicly, but trust me, Adam Silver, um, if he can't get LeBron out of the West, he wants the, he wants the Warriors out of the, out of the West because the casual fan knows who Steph Curry is and Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, not to mention that there's going to be this additional context because uh, uh, there's so many potential free agent issues happening with Golden State, particularly with Durant. So that series is going to be um, is going to be really, really interesting. John, the um, the one thing with NBA ratings that's always fascinating to me, and I know you and Austin Carp and the people at your place have written about, you know, all of these kind of um, storm clouds, John, could change on a dime if Chicago and New York got good, because those would be your two Eastern. You know, I know Chicago's in the Midwest, but essentially Eastern Standard Time Zone or Central Standard Time Zone markets where you have a massive audience because of the population and some of the stuff about the West Coast would be negated because there would be tune-in for the Knicks and Bulls. That's where Zion uh, not going to the Knicks really, really hurts because I think if you put him on there, even if they didn't get other free agents, the Knicks become a national viewing team again. And I think it really would have had a pretty significant impact on the ratings next year. Yeah, it goes even beyond the Knicks becoming a, a national viewing team. I, I, uh, I'm an NBA fan. I, I, I like watching the NBA. And my hometown team, the, the Wizards, lost 50 games this year. And I watched. I was less invested in, in, in the season, the regular season. I watched less basketball. Uh, and, it, and it took a while for me to sort of get into the playoffs a little bit. And, I, and I'm, an, uh, I'm not a hardcore NBA fan, but I'm, I'm more than a casual NBA fan, I think. And so I think that's, that's what they're looking at. The Knicks for how many decades have been just really bad, you know, and, and, and you saw, remember when Jer- Jeremy Lin had like a six or seven game uh, streak? And of the, course, this, I, wor- I, wor- I worked at Sports Illustrated. It was Lin Illustrated for three weeks. And, and the whole city of New York went nuts like I'd never seen before. So when people say it's like sort of a latent basketball market, it really is. This is a market that's sort of ready to explode and not necessarily back the Knicks or watch the Knicks, which I think they would do anyway if they got good, but they would watch all of the, all of basketball. They'd be more invested in, in watching some of the other games. And that's what, uh, that's what TV networks have, 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 have identified, uh, you know, not just with New York, but also with Chicago, you know, having Boston be good is, uh, is, is good for them as well, just because it just, it, it helps, it, it helps create these national brands that other people are going to see. And it gets big, TV markets more invested in the in the league, which they can sell off of. Again, if you had New York, Chicago, Boston, and Philly, all with competitive teams, all with uh, interesting storylines, that that would that I'm the I, I am near certain the LeBron issues would have been mitigated this year. I don't know if that's coming anytime soon. Obviously, we'll see what happens with free agency. Maybe the Knicks can get a couple of these guys. But by right, the same on, token, too, uh, you know the the whole Zion like. Zion's going to be fine no matter where he goes. Uh, so and, New, and, New, and New Orleans will be will will get ten to fifteen more games this year because they will be of significant interest. I agree. And he will have every endorsement that comes his way. He, he will he will he will be fine as a, as a, as a, as a star so long so long as he's good uh, and, and and his game translates to the NBA, which everybody suggests that it, it does and would. 
Yeah, no, I think um, I, I, I think he's going to be really, really good. The question is, you know, will he be transcendent? And we'll, we'll see. Uh, if Anthony Davis decides to stay or if they get some assets for Anthony Davis, uh, watch out for that team. All right, next topic I want to hit with you, John, is the Los Angeles Times profiled Jimmy Pitaro. I would say reading that, that probably was champagne going off in the La Placa ESPN PR offices. That was, was I, I didn't a, take that, count, but I did notice I did notice at least five PR uh, folks that actually retweeted that uh, that story link out, which uh, is, is always a sign of something, I suppose. I'll, yeah, I'll it's a, it's a, I, you don't want that. I think generally as a reporter, because it it does it does feel perhaps it's a little too celebratory. All that said, one on one with Jimmy Pitaro is something that's very valuable. Uh, Something that uh, I have not had yet, but part of that is my fault because I, you know, I've, I have trouble entering Bristol with my Canadian American passport, basically. Um, and so, um, so let's talk about some of the things he said in here because he did say some things that were pretty interesting. Cord cutting, John. Let's start with that. One of the things, and I know you have talked to Pataro as well. I know you've interviewed him, so maybe he's told you the same stuff. Um, but this is, I think, Stephen Batag- Bataglio. Am I right about yeah. that? That's, I think that's the author. Okay. So this is what Pataro told um, Stephen Bataglio. He thinks that the traditional cable bundle will still be around 10 years from now. So even though, obviously, ESPN Plus is where they're they're putting so much focus, so much infrastructure, so much rights on, he believes that 10 years from now, so 2029, the traditional cable bundle is still around. I happen to agree with him, John. But usually when I say that to people, people are like, no way. The whole world's just going to be streaming. There's no going to be such thing as cable anymore. I I actually, I don't know what the number's going to be, but I'm with Pataro on this. How do you see that? Um, I'm a big believer in the the cable bundle, actually. Um, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I I do think that it's going to shrink. Uh, I'm not sure where the bottom is, is going to be, um, but I, you know, the the idea of uh, getting you know a hundred channels for a hundred dollars or whatever is, is, you know, compared to how much you have to to pay for your Netflix account or your Hulu account and all these different uh, the different accounts are, that are out there, you know, ESPN Plus, the Zone. Um, I, 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 you know, in terms of affordability, you know, it it, it sort of hits on that a little bit. Um, I think that long long term, we all have kids. Like I can't imagine um, any of my kids paying for uh, a cable bundle. So I, I do I do see like you know we we talked about ten years. I think ten years they're fine. I'm still going to be buying a cable bundle in ten years. I'm sure, you know. But thirty years, like I, I don't who has any clue how it's going to look then, and and that's that's where it's going to really start to hit when you know millennials start to sort of grow up and have kids or, you know, the Gen Z starts to grow up and have kids, um, you know, what's going to happen then? And that's a, that, that's a little bit further out, I think, than, than just 10 years. Sports rights. Pitaro said that he would be surprised that um, the Facebooks, the Apples, the Amazons, the Netflix, the Googles, the major tech companies picked up significant sports rights packages by 2025. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I have a big amount of skepticism that they're going to do that. I think they're going to pick up packages. I think that the, the key word in there is, uh, is significant. Um, but r- right now, you know, they have not shown... Th- there are two things at play. Right now, they've really not shown uh, uh, the stomach to sit at the, at, at the negotiating table and pay a lot of money to, to get these rights. Because if you're Amazon, 
how do you then make money back off the rights today? Eventually, you could sort of sell, say, like, hey, if you want that jersey, click here. But you can't quite do that right now today in a mass way. Um, so they just have to sell advertising, whereas you know, broadcast networks and, and ESPN, they get paid by the cable operator and satellite operator a lot of money. And, uh, and so they, they can help subsidize uh, some of the uh, money that they're paying to the, to the league on, on that. Um, and the, and the, the other thing is, is uh, so far the, the um, you know, Twitter and Amazon and Facebook, you know, they've been doing, they've been dabbling, they've been doing some of these small deals. They just seem to me to really want to partner with some of these existing uh, TV networks uh, than than actually going in and 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 taking them. I mean, for ESPN, this is this is a reason for being like they're gonna they're gonna die trying to keep the NFL rights, or they're going to die trying to keep the NBA rights. For, for Amazon, it's just sort of like part of, you know, a really small part of their, their business. Um, so I, I, you know, I just don't, right now, things can change in like 10, 15 years, but, but the next time, over the next, you know, 2025, I think, over the next five years, six years, I just think that there's, it, it's not going to happen that quickly. The, the uh, remind me again if this is you or Stephen Battaglia um, in talking about ESPN as a Barker channel. Did I pull that from your newsletter or from that piece? Yeah, that was in my newsletter, and that was that was based on on the talk that uh, Jimmy gave to um, the Wall Street Journal. Okay, so let's we'll we'll explain what a Barker channel is. But John is saying that it's hard. I'll, I'll read it. I'll read it for the audience. It's hard to view ESPN as a Barker channel for ESPN Plus a service that has more than 2 million subscribers. But that's how Pataro described the linear channel, linear meaning regular ESPN that you watch, when he talked about showing UFC prelims on linear ESPN before showing the main event on ESPN+. So, John, if I have this correctly, his sort of thought is that um, ESPN, the channel we all grew up with, becomes essentially a promotional tool for ESPN+. Uh, that's overstating a little bit, but but it... You know, if you take the UFC, for example, the idea that you're not going to take the best UFC fights and put them on ESPN, and and you're just going to put them on this streaming uh, service called ESPN Plus, sort of turns this this uh, media strategy on its head uh, to a certain extent because you want the best events going to the most people, and that would be right. e- ESPN or, or ABC. But here they're saying we're going to put the best events on Plus. We're going to put the lesser events on ESPN, and then we're just going to use ESPN to drive as many viewers as possible to Plus to build up the uh, the audience for Plus, which I just think is a really unique way of uh, uh, of looking at things. And it's again, I mean, typically, if you're you know the NBA, you want your finals on ABC, not on ESPN, right? The broadcast channel because it's going to be seen by more people. The Super Bowl will. You know, I think in my lifetime will never come off of uh, broadcast television. You know, because that's the, it, that's how it reaches the most people. But the UFC and ESPN came to the absolute opposite decision, where it's like, okay, your best stuff is going to be seen by the fewest people, but we're going to try to drive as many people over there as possible. But at least you would you would concede, John, that that strategy for uh, like a niche product like UFC at least in current times, sort of works, and I can understand the logic behind that. I think at least at this moment, you would have consumer outrage if they tried to do that strategy with the NBA or major college football. There's just not enough mass right now on ESPN+, right? If you ever did that, you'd have people losing their minds who have already paid money for cable ESPN. 
Yeah, but but you know what? They, they've dealt with that before. I mean, they took the, the the BCS, which is now the college football playoff. They took it off of Fox and put it on ESPN. And then all of a sudden, like, if, if you wanted to watch, you had to buy cable, which at the time was people were like, I don't want to buy cable. I just want to watch it on broadcast. So they, they have a history of doing that with, with big events uh, going from broadcast to cable. And this is just taking it, you know, from cable to something that, you know, Try, try, try explaining what streaming is to my mom. You know, it's, uh, that, that's right. going to be a difficult conversation. Yeah, it'd be interesting. And again, maybe generationally, you know, when the millennials get to a certain age and they don't distinguish between streaming, they probably don't even know what cable is compared to streaming. I get it. But I, I, I think if you're ESPN, and I think Pataro's made this clear, you are trying to wring every dollar you can wring out of your cable bundle for as long as you can while building ESPN Plus up. And that's no actually doubt. not a bad... Yeah. That's not a bad business strategy to me. That's that's oh, I, dual I, I, I wasn't and, commenting on the business strategy. I, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it worked. It, it just was it just was so radically uniquely different. And then hearing him hearing the language that Jimmy used to describe ESP, ESPN in that relationship was just you know it it was jolting to me almost. I mean, even yeah. though that's exactly what it was. And I will say this: I, I I have to tip my hat to Burke Magnus and the people who have made the acquisitions for ESPN Plus. They have really gotten. Again, if you're like a diehard soccer fan, obviously a global soccer fan, I should say. If you're a UFC fan, uh, if you're a, if you're a fan of a certain mid major, ESPN Plus has has some amazing content um, in terms of tonnage. So you know, I tip my hat to the people who have acquired that. Now, again, by the way, mid major. The- if you want to see Harvard play Dartmouth in football, I can tell you exactly right. right now where you can go see it, and 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 you would be able to see it. I mean, or, or right. Harvard play Dartmouth in baseball, even. I mean, it's uh, it, what they've done over there has been really. Um, it, they, they, they've bought more rights and they've done more than any of these tech companies that everybody's looking at uh, combined. Yeah, and again, you know, it'll be fair if you have the bank. You know, if you have the uh, the money to buy the Iron Throne, you could buy the Iron Throne. At the same time, you got to make strategic and smart decisions. So that's one where I think you, you tip your hat to those that who are ac- who are providing the acquisitions for ESPN Plus because they've been a really they've done an excellent job. All right, the last one on Pataro, and this is something he said to Stephen Battaglia, and uh, Battaglio, and obviously no surprise, got picked up everywhere. The cause of debates. Etc. You know, people using it to sort of push their own narratives. uh, Our probably myself included. Our data tells us that our fans don't want us covering politics. My job is to provide clarity. Some of our talent was confused on what was expected of them. If you fast forward to today, I don't believe they are confused. John, I don't want to relitigate the 50 million podcasts we've done on this. Uh, you (laughs) You can go back in the archives and see it. Here is all I will say to this, John. Um. One, ESPN every day on its airways was not sitting out there debating Brexit, debating social issues, uh, you know, discussing uh, Trump versus Obama. That's just not factually true. They had certainly commentators who on social media uh, were pushing viewpoints out and probably far more progressive than viewpoints than not. But this wasn't going on on ESPN every day. Two, I have no doubt that they did tests and data. I know this for a fact that showed that they're Viewers don't want them talking politics and quotes, whatever that means. But inevitably, uh, the world of sports and politics are intersected. You know, if Kevin Durant and LeBron James say something about social inequality in this country, that is a news story. Same thing with Colin Kaepernick, et cetera. And so then finally, John, and here's my last one for you. And then I, we, we disagree on this a little bit. So I, I always like having you on. Here's my last one, John. And this is where I think Pataro is, I mean, it's going to be blunt, a little bit full of BS. 
there are still times on ESPN and certainly First Take who gets into certain debates where they absolutely do discuss, at least as I would uh, put it under the larger framework or rubric, politics. But when that is good for viewership and when that is good for ratings and when that is good for viral clips, I don't know if Jimmy Pitaro is going into Max Kellerman, Will Kane, and Stephen A. Smith and saying, uh, you're not confused at this, fellas, are you? No way. He's letting that go because he knows that serves a larger, greater good when it comes to ESPN getting some um, virality in the marketplace. So, so, so what's an example so of go, what go they ahead. talked about in first take? Uh, all right. Well, I'll pull up the sort of the, the, the biggest one. Uh, as you're commenting on my other stuff, I will pull up some of the ones that they've uh, talked about that we can sort of that I would classify, um, you know, as as sort of something political or social. But as a general rule, um, okay, so here would be one that I would you tell me of this, you consider this under the framework of of politics or whatever. And that would be the discussion about Kate Smith. Do you remember this is about this is last month, when Kate Smith, the um, famous uh, uh, singer, um, uh, news sort of came out that some of her 1930s performances included some uh, pretty rate, not pretty, but absolutely she was singing racist songs. And the couple of teams, the Yankees and the Flyers, I uh, believe, decided that they would no longer play her version of God Bless America at games. So that became a very heated topic between Smith, Kellerman, and Kane on sort of, um, you know, is this an overreaction? Uh, how do you sort of navigate racism from the 30s versus now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, you know, there are certainly discussions about um, the Red Sox going to the White House. I would consider that under the sort of the framework of of politics. So that, that's at least in sort of real in terms of new. Um, you know, relatively like sort of new discussion points over the last 30 days or so, I would consider both of those uh, that fall under politics. They were certainly both discussed by that show. I didn't see Jimmy Pitaro come out and say, you know, you are you are not allowed to discuss this stuff. I think he was fine with it because, again, I think it served their their needs at the time, their needs on their debate show, which they need view eye, eyeballs and viewers and, 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 and viral content. I think uh, so. I think Jimmy has been completely clear about this. Where is, is, he's been talking about, you know, as politics intersects sports, and of course it intersects sports. You know, people can discuss that. You know, where politics, politics does not intersect with sports. You know, uh, he, he doesn't want to see uh, the, the his commentators. You know, talk about the the immigration. Um, of debate that's going on. Or, or, but I mean, John, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like, like, have you ever seen like that topic debated on SportsCenter? No, like, I haven't, I but, 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 but we've seen it debated on, on social media with, with, sure. with some of the talent. And so that, and, right. I, and I think that's where everything sort of came down. It was like, you can't do that anymore. And I think that since he's been there, that the talent, talent hasn't been doing that. I, I don't think that, that in the past there, there has been sort of any, any pullback from, from anything on on television, I think it's it's all off of television, and it's mainly on Twitter that where people got into trouble. Yeah, no, listen, and I agree with that. And the only thing I would say to that is, I mean, I have a sort of a difference of opinion anyway in terms of what what yeah, you know, I hate that expression, but the what front facing talent should or should not be able to do. I, I I like organizations that sort of treat their employees as human beings first, and and front facing people. 
um, second. But I, I mean, I, I and again, we're going about to lit- relitigate this, and I don't want to do that. But there, John, to me, there is a major difference in terms of what your commentators are saying on social media and what they're saying on the airwaves. And so much of the discussion, I feel like ESPN reacted to people saying that this was going on on their airwaves when it was not. Like the the network was not doing twenty four hour specials on. Um, you know, should appropriations be given to a wall? Like that just, that didn't exist. I'm with you. No doubt on Twitter, a lot of this was discussed. We all know Jamel Hill's comments about Donald Trump, but my God, this like, this wasn't happening 24 seven on ESPN. You know, there's just random incidents of occasional, this stuff popping up, but it wasn't part of their, at least in my opinion, it was not part of their programming on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, That's but, all I'm so, saying. But, but sometimes it did, like there was, there was uh, a tenor out there that that's where ESPN was, and it was progressive, and it was sort of like you know it, it, it was liberal, and that's that's how they were painted. And if you want to be a, a business that's, that wants to you know continue to make money and 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 move forward, that was, that was an image that they they needed to to sort of sort of get out from under of. Or embrace, and they did not want to embrace that. They they wanted to, to, to get away from that. So I was like, look. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I understand that, and I think that's well said by you. My last one on this is, do you think that, do you think the people who were painting ESPN that acted acted genuinely or disingen- <laughs> disingenuously? No, no, I didn't see it on air. I, 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 I do think, I disagree with you a little bit. I think that if I, if I go on a Twitter rant, I, I don't go on as sort of John Rand as an individual. Yeah, I just used my first uh, my, my myself in a third person. By the way, for the yeah, first time, I like ever it. Though. It's like Deion Sanders. I apologize, but I don't go on there as an individual necessarily. I, I'm representing SPJ. I'm right up there. It's like if you look at my Twitter profile, I'm John Aran's a meter reporter, SPJ, uh, and so. I, I like I know I know that you would want to take that away a little bit and but I I don't think that's realistic. I think people who gain gain their fame on Sports Center when they when they have a public pat, platform out there on on Twitter, they're they're representing their company and it's uh it's it's just sort of a reality. It's not like good or bad. It's just sort of the way it is, I think. Uh, and uh, listen, and here's what I would say, and I appreciate you saying this and I I want to let the audience know that like trust me, I live in the real world. I'm not trying to be a hero. I totally agree on that. There, there are certain lines that you cannot cross, and no doubt that even if I went off on something, I know that that people will connect me to the athletic, and there probably not probably there is a line. There's always a line for all of us that you can go to. I think probably the athletic, the line is a little bit further down. Not I think. I know it's further down than ESPN. So yeah, I get that. And also the other thing I want to say is, in my position, John, it's easy. I don't have to run a company of seven thousand people. So I, I, it's a, it's, it's, it's far easier in my position for me to say X than it is for Jimmy Pataro, who is judged by, uh, you know, Disney shareholders and he's got his own bosses. So I get all that. I don't want to be a hypocrite here, but, um, but I do stand sort of, I, I, I do think again, they were pushed into a position by many disingenuous brokers. I'll just leave it at that. Um, all right. I don't want uh, John. I relitigated this already too long, and I apologize. I, <laughs> I, I always do this. I always and get too long. You baited me into it. I was like, I'm not going to take the bait, and I, it, it worked. Well done. Well done. Let's hope, let's hope it gets us at least five thousand extra <laughs> down, downloads. All right. Finally, um, let's end on this. The this is actually really interesting to me because I, I think it's actually really smart. Um, I don't know where it's going to go in terms of. Um, how much content they're going to do. But the NFL Network cut a really interesting rights deal 
with Conference USA for 10 football games. Um, they have a four-year deal. This might have been your colleague, Michael um, Michael Mike Smith. Smith this, yeah. Yeah, yeah, who's been writing about this. He's, he's a great guy to follow on all this stuff. Actually, I'm reading him now. He, he actually, I think in his newsletter yesterday, reported that now this may not be a one-off. Um, they may get some Mountain West football games. I think this is like really interesting, John, because that the NFL Network strikes me as a great place to have some mid-major college football games because you're already sort of, if you're a fan of that network, you're already sort of a hardcore football fan, and you probably love the, the possibilities of watching stuff live. Have you heard of any of these guys sort of continuing to do this? Because I feel like the NFL Network would be a really interesting place for college football on the like as a regular kind of programming thing. Yeah, they've dabbled in this here and there in the past. Uh, but what what they're really looking at right now is doing a doubleheader on Saturday. So they they would start with um, a Conference USA game, and then they would end up going into a a, a Mountain West game. Uh, although the Mountain West deal still has, hasn't been signed, so that's uh, anything could happen with that. Um, for the NFL Network, it makes perfect sense. All all net, all TV networks, all media companies are trying to get live live sports rights, and and those are live sports rights. But like, if you're if I'm a fan of one of the schools at Conference USA, they're now on like five different networks or, or streaming services. So like, you know, the, the idea that I mentioned the Ivy League earlier, like I know exactly that I can go to ESPN Plus and watch any Ivy League game. Like, like if I, I'm a Conference USA fan, I'm, maybe I'm on CBS or maybe I'm on NFL Network, and maybe like you know. Uh, 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 who, who else has has them? Audience has has one. Like, they're just all over the map, and that's a, they they got some money out of the deal, but that just seems to be a really tough way to to sort of satisfy fans and, and win new fans. No, I do understand that. Although I, I I will say this, you know, one of the most popular sports in the United States of America, Major League Baseball. You go to the postseason, they're on a lot of different networks. So you, you know, I I think fans. If you're really a diehard fan, you you will find out where it is, but that is an issue, and I'm with you. And then when you start crossing over from like linear to streaming and stuff oh, like that, that it becomes. It, it, and, and by the way, baseball, I, I would suggest that hasn't helped baseball in, in total, especially when they have something on MLB Network. But MLB playoffs versus Conference USA regular season are two like a lot more people are going to try to seek out the, uh, the MLB playoffs. But it's for uh, sure. Maybe I sound old because I think nowadays people just press a button and, and go to whatever game they want. But it's no, not. no, it's honestly, I mean, the, the fact is, I mean, we joke about it, but there are still people every year who don't know where True TV is, who get, who get, who lose their mind because they can't find the games, who are in a hotel and it doesn't have it. It's a real thing. It's that still, that still exists as, as we move on. And again, as younger viewers sort of um, become more, you know, into the marketplace with more discretionary income, that changes. But no, I think that's still, I, th- I think, I think that's still legit. And I actually absolutely think between going th- from streaming to cable to something else, not only is that a, uh, can be an issue in terms of where it is, but you know, we've talked about this before, John, you you continue to ask people to buy, to spend more money on, on new packages, regardless of medium. And eventually that's, there's going to be a reckoning one day for that, I, I, I don't know. I mean, probably at the end, there's just going to be certain survivors. But I don't know how the sports fan could like subscribe to DAZN, ESPN Plus, you know, Bleacher Report, Fox Sports Go, and also have a cable package. Like at a certain point, something has to break because that's that. If you have all of that stuff, that costs way more than than traditional cable already. 
Yeah, which I, the, the point that I made or the, or earlier on that, and it's, some of them are going to fail spectacularly, and it's uh, it, it's our job to sort of, sort of document and figure out which ones those are going to be. No, well, at least for uh, our buddy Adnan Burke, he's gotten paid in the event. Zone is one of those places <laughs> that 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 fails spectacularly. All right, John, is there anything else that uh, you would like to discuss uh, before uh, before I let you go? No, you know what? We got the Raptors done at, uh, early on. That's what I was going to bring up. I'm, I'm in New York. Uh, it's right now Wednesday. I'm in New York for the Sports Business Awards, uh, which are going on today. Yeah, nice. And um, I, I didn't see you, at, Richard, at the Sports Emmy Awards on Monday. <laughs> yeah, my streak of not going to the Sports Emmy Awards uh, continues. That is just not my scene, John. It's I'm not... Uh, uh, I, I, I I don't really love the, the back-slapping part of the business. I will say this, as someone who really immensely disliked the sports Emmys for a long time, it has gotten better in that, it, one, the, the best thing about the sports Emmys, me and you both agree on this, is it does reward people behind the scenes, and that stuff does matter to their bosses, and they can get money for that and stuff like that. So that's a great thing. I give you that. What What used to frustrate me, John, so much is the same people were always nominated, the same people always won. And it did at least, or it feels like in recent years, that got a little bit better. I feel like some of the on-air talent um, who really deserved it was rewarded with um, with that statue. But, you know, that that was for so many so there's, years. There's John's, an in, inside baseball yeah. reason. Uh, all right, go that. ahead. Give uh, me that. Uh, I'd be curious. The, the uh, Now all the judges, they don't get sent tapes. They get, they get everything electronically. And so they can uh, the, you can monitor which judges actually watched some of the uh, submission tapes um, because, ah, because uh, right, they, they, so, you know, there's a time where people are, I don't need to watch all of those. I'm just going to give it to Costas because right. Costas is a, uh, you know, he, he's a legend. He's emeritus. How many times did John Madden win it for goodness sakes? You know, and I'm, yeah, I don't need so to it feels like that. forever. Exactly. Uh, now that now, you know, I, that's still certainly has to come into some of the judging, I think, but now it's, it's certain that people are actually sitting down and going through all of the, uh, all of the submissions. Mm, interesting. All right. Well, I, I appreciate that, uh, that inside baseball knowledge. Uh, our John O'Rand is the media reporter for sports business daily and sports business journal. Please check his work out on those publications. If you're a Sports Business Daily subscriber, make sure you get John's newsletter that he does with Michael Smith. One of the best things those guys do. I think that comes out twice a week or three times a week. And then follow John on Twitter. Uh, John, as always, thank you for your time, and uh, and we will talk again. Anytime, RD. Thanks for having me, man. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to John Olrant for coming on today. Thanks, as always, to Terrence Malagon. I will, uh, because she's been a uh, guest on this podcast a couple times, uh, give a shout-out to Hannah Withiam, who is now the new WNBA editor for The Athletic, which has hired beat writers for every one of those teams. I'm not sure National Publication has ever done that. I think people who listen to this podcast know I'm a big women's basketball fan, cover women's college basketball, and um, I watch the WNBA because so many of the players that I covered now play in that league. So uh, if you're a women's basketball fan, check that out. On the athletic, the athletic now is beat writers for every team in the WNBA, and we'll see how that goes. But it's a pretty cool initiative, and Hannah is the point person on that, and we'll have her on down the road to talk about that. Uh, last week's guests were phenomenal: Taylor Rooks and Jim Ross. So check that episode out. Two really interesting conversations. Two very different people. I think you'll enjoy that. Before that, we had a uh, "Will People Watch the XFL?" podcast: Tim Layden, Bruce Feldman, and Daniel Dale. 
Adnan Burke, Mike Lombardi, Jamel Hill, Rick Riley, Ron McClain. Go down the list. Head to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Radio.com, and you can see all the uh, podcasts we've done. Please leave us a review and a rating. That is how this podcast continues. My thanks to uh, Cadence 13. Really happy to see their uh, success in uh, some of their doc podcasts way at the top of the Apple chart. So that's pretty awesome. So congrats to uh, uh, Spencer Brown, Chris Corcoran, John McDermott, and company. All right. For Terrence Maligone, this is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.